548. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the monitor room at the Christian Geek Central podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live in the freedom and purpose that Christ has given us. For more information about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out spiritblade.com or patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. On the show to... to, to, Off to a rough start. On the show today, a review of Hellboy, some news about new Christian geek novels and video games, and an open question and uh, some comments about why there isn't more Bible-based speculative fiction. Plus, a review of the new Pilgrim's Progress animated movie provided by John Wilkerson of StrugglingForPurpose.com. Here we go! My father once told me that I could use my powers to make a difference. He told me I had a responsibility to help others. He told me I could save this world. Save everyone. Then he told me, walk the gerbil, walk the gerbil. Frickin' weirdo. Hellboy, or the rebooted Hellboy. Um, I enjoyed the Guillermo del Toro movies with Ron Perlman and really would have liked to have seen a third installment in that to kind of make it a nice rounded trilogy. Although the second one did end in a place where I felt like we could let go of these characters. They kind of have been given their happy ending if we want to just, you know, see it as that. So a third one might have actually been weird and, you know, uh, jumped the shark. I don't know. We'll, you know, we'll never know, I suppose. Instead, we got this reboot of Hellboy. The synopsis on IMDb reads, based on the graphic novels by Mike Mignola, Hellboy, caught between the worlds of the supernatural and human, battles an ancient sorceress bent on revenge. And that's a pretty good synopsis. I mean, it's not a complicated plot. Uh, it's it's a superhero. It's a supernatural superhero movie that leans heavily into horror elements. I think, especially in the second half. Uh, but you know, right from the beginning, people are dying horribly. There's lots of blood and gore. It's balanced a bit by frequent humor, much of which comes from the jaded perspective of Hellboy. Which uh, is, you know, I I normally don't like humor in movies and I don't like, you know, wisecracking smart aleck type of humor, but I can get into like a jaded, you know, just just like fed up with life uh, kind of humor. And uh, uh, and that's a lot of what the vibe of the humor is for a a good amount of this movie. There is some somewhat um, silly humor involved. There's an anthropomorphic, low intelligence, bumbling henchman that I merely tolerated in this movie. Uh, I hate that kind of character trope. I don't find it funny or silly or whatever, you know. But the movie made up for it in the second half. They were only kind of leaning on him and his humor for a few scenes in the first half. And then in the back half, it leans, I think, more heavily into horror, legitimately scaring or disturbing me on in several scenes, which I really appreciated because you don't often see horror just kind of mixed in with other genres like comedy or superhero movies and stuff like that. So that that was a nice 
you know, when it comes to Hellboy, whether it's the, the Guillermo del Toro movies or this one, you're getting a different package than your typical comic booky superhero type of movie. It's mostly, I would describe it as plot oriented uh, or maybe situational situation oriented would be a better way to describe it you know there's a, a sequence of fantastical situations that Hellboy has to navigate that uh, almost episodic in a sense that are loosely held together by the overall plot to stop the big bad sorceress from end ending the world and this made this structure made the first half a little bit slow for me because I like to have an overarching kind of a story and tension and stakes that are rising consistently throughout. Um, and, you know, because of that first half, I didn't feel the tension rising toward any climax of any kind for a while. But in the second half, the stakes became more, I guess, present to me, more clear to me, and more involved in the action that was happening in the moment. And the horror elements became stronger. And so on a story level, I was really won over uh, the longer I watched the movie. I, I, I was thinking during the first half, I was like, ah, I'm not feeling connected. This is probably a movie that I'm just going to like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sit through. But at some point in the middle, I, I really started to kind of get engaged with it. And so that was nice to, to see that shift happen in my experience. It even has a nice uh, father-son moment that gave me some feelings. Uh, and I always appreciate that. I'm a sucker for good father-son moments. Um, let's talk about the cast a little bit. There are a couple character arcs, but I wouldn't call it character-driven. And so while I thought all the performances were fine, they did what I needed them to do in particularly and when I'm watching a movie, they didn't have, you know, much complexity complexity to work with in the script you know so uh if they you know if these actors all had a lot more potential and ability as actors this wasn't the script that was really going to showcase that that said i have to compliment david harbour who plays hellboy you've probably seen him in some other movies he's never been like a leading man to my knowledge he usually plays kind of like the jerk or sometimes the villain you know um and he plays hellboy in this and i really enjoyed his performance you know i, I was thinking to myself ron perlman's going to be a hard act to follow because i really liked what he did with the character in those two movies and David Harbour's version of him is different, um, but it still feels like Hellboy. I don't know how to describe it any other way. And that's just based on my experience watching the first movie. I don't have any experience reading the comics, although I have to say, after watching this movie, I'm like, gosh, I wonder if I could find a cheap trade paperback. I might be interested in this world. I might be interested in this character. If some of these same things that they are doing in this movie and in the previous two Hellboy movies, if that's kind of a mainstay of what the books are about, then I might be interested. Anyway, um, performing under all that makeup is a, a challenge. I've never done it before, but I just know from watching behind-the-scenes features of various movies where uh, they have masks on the characters, and it's it's tough to um, to show subtlety and subtle emotional subtext, and uh, you really have to adopt a different style of acting, and some actors aren't able to make that adjustment, you know, and it results in a performance that you're not connected to. But between the close-ups and his own performing abilities, I never felt like the loads of prosthetics and makeup created a barrier between me and Hellboy's feelings. Now, I do think that uh, it helps that the Hellboy character is a has this kind of stoic and gruff exterior attitude by default, but I, I really do think that David Harbour was uh, suited to this role and, and what it required of him. Um, okay, so let's talk about the, the visuals and stuff. During the first half, I definitely missed the visual style of Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy movies. Uh, you know, they had that steampunk clockwork vibe uh, that was just 
great for my particular tastes. And for a bit of this movie, I just felt like it had the trappings of horror without actually horrifying me. You know, it was just like, oh, yep, there's blood, there's gore. But it wasn't having, I think, the effect that I wanted it to have on me. But as I said earlier, in the second half, they, I felt like they started, you know, more naturally combining the visual designs, the horror designs for different characters with character behaviors in some um, unsettling ways, you know, such as when an undead witch kind of clambers around the room, you know, in that upside down crab walk style that we've seen in some horror movies before, but it's still really weird and creepy looking. Or when two minor characters are killed by having their bodies mystically twisted around in just nasty ways and broken, pulling their limbs in bad directions and uh, getting all grotesque in their death throes, you know. So uh, for me, it took about half of the movie, but it did seem to settle into its own visual style and visual feel. It didn't help, I would say, that the CGI looked a little too, you know, to my eye to be on the undercooked side. Now, I do have an eye, as many of you know, that it just seems cursed to pick out CGI, even when they're really at the top of their game and trying to make it look realistic. Um, but I, I do think that the CG looked a little bit um, below the bar of, of uh, current standards. Not much, but enough that I was just like, this looks, this feels a little animated, you know? Or the textures just feels a, just a little bit cartoony or something. Something didn't quite make it feel settled in the world like I wanted it to. Um, which is why I'm all the more glad that they used makeup effects as much as they did. Not near as often as I'd like, but at least it wasn't all CGI, and I'm grateful for that. Um, I'll just briefly comment on the the music. They have kind of a, a rock, heavy metal type of soundtrack, and uh, I think that's probably because in the vibe I was getting from Hellboy, and I think I think they were trying to play up the um, the tr the the association that. Uh, at least, you know, older rock or maybe current rock and current metal, you know, does too. But, you know, there's that association of the trappings, at least, of the occult with some forms of rock and heavy metal. And so I think they were trying to kind of play that up in both Hellboy's character as being kind of like this, you know, you almost get kind of like a gruff biker rocker vibe off of him. And the score was definitely playing that up as well at certain points. And so I thought that was a nice kind of uh, uh, union of those of those two things. Um Okay, so what about themes? Is there anything of worthwhile moral, philosophical, or spiritual significance going on in the story and the embedded themes that might lead to some worthwhile thought or conversation? Uh, well, first, I got to get one mild irritation out of the way. I'll try not to spend too much time on it. But the movie takes place in what is supposed to be our world, apart from all the supernatural elements, you know, and it leans on the trappings of real, wor real world occult practices, you know. So there are pentagrams and there are, you know, goat type, you you know, evil goat type creatures or, you know, what seems to be the leftovers of a sacrifice or something, you know, just like, you know, weird, nasty, you know, occult type aesthetics. But it often has the protagonists also taking advantage of uh, things that look like real world occult practices like seances and the use of mediums and stuff like that, which implicitly when you have the protagonists do that, unless you're telling a more complex, a morally complex story, which I... I don't think they are as morally complex as uh, as I wish they were. But, you know, it, it implicitly validates them when you have your heroes using the occult, you know. The movie also briefly and vaguely validates some form of Christian belief, I should say. Uh, in one scene, an evil creature needs to get access to this mystically sealed box, and he says that it can only be opened by, I think he said, like, the words of a man of God. But God himself seems uninvolved in the story. 
And even these uh, Christian aesthetic trappings are treated ultimately as no more than these sort of magic rituals. Uh, you know, that guy found a workaround, you know, that really just made it seem like, oh, you really just, I don't want to spoil the scene, you know, but, uh, you know, his, his workaround really reduced the idea of needing a man of the words of a man of God to just like this, you know, this ritual, like a loophole, you know, uh, that, that God really you know, what did God have to do with that at all? You know, so much in the same way, like the Bible, I think is treated almost like a spell book in most exorcism movies. You know, when the guy gets out and he's just like, blah, 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 blah. And he, you know, you just wonder, are you even thinking about what you're saying? Or he's saying it in Latin or, you know, whatever. And it just seems like it's more of, they're just repeating the same line over and over again, you know, like it's a spell book or an incantation or something like that, as opposed to really, um, really depending on having faith in the truth of who God is and his uh, presence and his uh, desire to uh, protect us from evil, you know. So, um, so that's a bit of a, a shortcoming for me. I think in stories of good versus evil, it's really valuable to have strong and pure representations of both good and evil so that we know what the good guys are fighting for and what we as an audience are hoping the heroes can avoid or defeat. You know, what would it mean for quote unquote evil to run loose, you know? Um, now, setting that aside, I think this movie has some great potential springboards for conversation and self-examination uh, for us as Christians in particular. Hellboy lives in constant tension because of his competing identities. He is a demon or a monster of some kind, but he was raised by a human. Not only that, he was raised to hunt down and exterminate creatures that are arguably his sort of siblings in a sense there is some complexity in that because uh many of them deserve extermination but he also wonders out loud whether or not monsters would stop hurting humans if humans stopped hurting monsters um and i think this is maybe calling up this idea of the, there's just lots of polarization especially in dialogue on the internet there's just a lot of polarization that people are like gravitating toward you know these different camps and there's not there's not uh, gentleness of tone and calmness of attitude and nuance in the the, the issues that uh, that we find ourselves divided over you know uh, and so this movie may or may not be making a comment just on that kind of culture that we are generating right now online um and this tension of this character of a Hellboy's character and that potential theme there is enhanced by the character arc of a supporting cast member who has this strong bias against monsters and against Hellboy himself. And he's cautioned by another that, hey, hate sometimes wears the most righteous of faces. And this struck me as potential messaging from the writer. Uh, who maybe feels like those in the world who claim to be righteous, maybe he would even particularly have Christians in mind, are actually filled with hate. Now, of course, we can't know each other's hearts, and that might be true or false on a case-by-case -case basis with any, with any Christian or any person, you know, that is in some way associating themselves with righteousness. But I think it's really worthwhile for us as Christians to examine our hearts when we feel a responsibility to speak up against some form of evil that we see. Um, you know, we, we should ask, are my words in this moment motivated by love for God and for the truth of his character to, uh, to be seen? Um, uh, or is it motivated by love for people and my desire that they uh, not fall victim to uh, evils in the world, that maybe that they are embracing without realizing their self-destructive, you know, uh, pattern in that? Um, or is what I have going on inside me a, a sort of a self-righteous anger? Um, 
or, or fear of some kind that's fueling what I what I want to say on this given issue. And this applies, I think, to both our internet conversations and also, you know, just in our regular day-to-day real-world relationships, you know, uh, that it's really worth examining our hearts and like, okay, I know that this thing that I that I see is wrong and I know that it should be confronted. Is there anything else in the mix that is not of God that might be fueling my desire to confront this? You know, I think that's a really important exercise for us to go through and to ask ourselves, am I motivated by love in this? And if not, then what is going on inside of me that is causing something else other than love to be my motivation? How can I develop compassion and love for this person? You know, I think that we could really, we would really do well to, uh, to explore our hearts in that. Um, as we are aiming to oppose evil and represent truth to those that we interact with, it's vital that we remember there's still evil inside of us as well. You know, we are new creations in Christ as believers who've placed our faith in him for our rescue from all of our sinful tendencies and patterns. And, um, and, uh, but that rescue is not complete yet. It's a work in progress that will be complete in eternity, but in this life, we're never going to see that work complete. And so there's this remnant of evil that, that, that still clings to us that we have to humbly acknowledge and intentionally resist. First John 1 8 says, if we say we have no sin, we we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, I think this is really good to remember, you know, for if we're thinking to ourselves, boy, God wants me to confront this kind of evil that I see happening right now. He wants me to confront this. He wants me to be used. And I think God could maybe use me in a really powerful way here. I think that's what this situation seems to be allowing for right now. Um, so we could really think that we are in line with what God is doing. But listen to these words. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, if, if I'm that committed, but have not love, I gain nothing. Um, so thematically, just in summary, Hellboy is a mixed bag for me, definitely. But if somewhere in there is the message that we should fight evil, but love people, I think that's a message definitely worth hearing. Now, I have no idea what your tastes are in movies, but if I were a time traveler, I'd go back in time and say, Peter, um, okay, uh, skip this one. Uh, you're going to enjoy it, but I mean, you're going to pay half the Blu-ray price just to see it once. And it does it's not going to be enjoyable right from the get-go the first time you watch it. That said, you're going to watch it ultimately at least twice. Uh, don't give up during that first half. You'll warm up to it the more you watch. And uh, even the first half will look a little better in retrospect after getting into that second half. And for a guy that loves weird-looking and gory monsters, this one has you covered. It's rated R for sl- strong bloody violence and gore throughout and language. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast. P, I couldn't do it in one breath. I, I realized when I started, I was like, I haven't done it in one breath in a while. I should try to do it in one breath, see if I can do it. I didn't take a deep, I didn't take a deep enough. I didn't think ahead. I didn't count the cost. 
POSTOS Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Scanning for Christian Geeks. Subject located. Verifying status. Christian Geek status verified. Begin data transmission. This is your monthly Christian Geek News Radar covering uh, the wider world of Christian geekery, which involves this year of really a variety of different types of content. First up, over at geeksundergrace.com, they published what I thought was a really nice article titled Social Stewardship, which is really uh, about bringing out the truth that even as introverts, we can be positioned and used by God to speak into the lives of others in really powerful ways that we really might not expect being the socially withdrawn people that we can really tend to be. So I recommend checking out that article called Social Stewardship over at geeksundergrace.com, published on March 10th, 2019. And then not targeted toward geeks, but something that I personally wanted to really uh, bring to your attention is a video called The Art of Conversation, recorded at the Hillsong Leadership and Apologetics Symposium with RZIM, which stands for Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. If you're not familiar, Ravi Zacharias is a a Christian speaker, thinker, and apologist uh, who really has a heart for not just having answers to, you know, some of the most difficult questions, but being able to answer the questioners who are struggling with these things. And so he uh, he and his uh, staff just have a, a really wonderful ministry that uh, incorporates both the mind and the heart in really intentional ways. And this video that they put up, The Art of Conversation, is, uh, I would say, a bit in the context of outreach in terms of, you know, how can we make our conversations become more more useful to what God might want to do in the life of someone else that's maybe not a believer. But uh, I, I found this video also had a lot of application just for having good conversations in general with people who are believers, or maybe they, they are believers, but you're not sure kind of what their their uh, their faith life is like these days. And as geeks, since we really struggle, I think, with figuring out how to have Uh, meaningful conversations or segueing into more meaningful topics from maybe the more surfacey stuff that we can talk about. Uh, This I I found to be a really equipping type of video. uh, You got to make some time for it. It's over an hour long, but you know, watch it at 1.5 speed and it won't take quite that long. And it's well worth your time. If you want to make those uh, potentially awkward social situations become something that you feel prepared for and comfortable with and uh, you know, and set yourself up to be used by God in some powerful ways just through normal conversation with other people. Uh, this is a video I highly recommend. Again, that's uh, the YouTube channel of Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, and the video is titled The Art of Conversation. Uh, moving along, Supersonic Pod Comics Amazing Fiction Podcast Adventures was announced as a Kickstarter 
that, that is going on right now. There, As I record this, there are 19 days to go. They've almost reached the halfway point of $2,000 uh, in their fundraising. Uh, and this is put. Uh, this is created by Ben Avery, J.S. Earls, with the help of Nathan James Norman. Uh, these are all names that are friends of the Christian Geek Central podcast and community. And so I was really excited to hear these guys working together to create what is essentially going to be a shared a shared superhero universe told in audio drama for, uh, format in a podcast uh, that, that will be released on a regular basis. Uh, I'll turn it over to their description instead of my stumbling words. Supersonic Pod Comics are comics for your ears. Superhero stories told through audio drama form as a weekly podcast. We've created four different series that will release one episode a month, telling the ongoing story of some unique, relatable, fun, and inspiring heroes. Our team of creators include podcasters, comic book writers, and character artists who are fans of great stories and storytelling. Ben Avery and J.S. Earls, the creators of our first four series, have been professionally working in the comic book industry for 20 years and have also worked in animation, prose, audio drama, and even puppets. Now they want to bring all those different storytelling experiences in all those different mediums to create a brand new, exciting superhero universe in an audio format. So uh, again, you can find more information about that by uh, looking up Supersonic Pod Comics on Kickstarter. Let's see. Uh, Speculative Faith has released the new issue of the Lorehaven magazine. This is a magazine for Christian fans of uh, imaginative fiction. And this is absolutely free over at speculativefaith.lorehaven.com. And in the spring 2019 issue, uh, which I contributed an article to, there's an interview with uh, Tosca Lee. Um, there's a, a there's an article about the, the issue of whether or not parents should allow their children to pretend to be bad guys. You know, a number of us geeks are now becoming parents and are parents of potential geeks who are uh, exploring different types of gameplay, whether it's video games or paper and pencil role playing games, where they have the option to be a bad guy. And uh, what do we do with that? So they they share some thoughts on that, and also 15 new novel reviews, uh, as well as an article uh, giving practical tips to glorify God in our entertainment choices. So that's the 2019 spring issue of Lorehaven. You can get it for free over at speculativefaith.lorehaven.com. And now for some book release news, I'm going to turn it over to Adam David Collings. Just B. Jordan has released To Ashes We Run, an Echo Fall Rising novel. This is a historical fantasy. Bridges Between Realms, A Queen of Witches, and Body Possession. Reader's favourite five-star review says of this book, a powerful epic fantasy that is worthy of a place on any fantasy fan's shelves. And Teddy Deppner says, so fantastic, the pacing is superb, the setting full of exotic wonder, and the threat of death. The protagonist heroic in such a beautifully understated way, top notch. Rebecca P. Minor has released A Greater Strength, the second book in the Windrider saga, which follows on from book one, A Divine Summons. This series takes us into the skies with an officer of the Elven Cavalry riding on the back of a dragon. In this book, the hero must work with a prophetess to uncover a mysterious plot which could give the enemy of the elves a hellish weapon of great destructive power. Sanctum by Ian Miller, the third book in the Emissary of the Oppressed series was released on the 25th of March. The previous books in this series are Arboretum, 
and serpent bearer. This series follows an atheist professor who is transported to an alien world where he finds a civilization of god worshippers. Bringing an unexpected trouble to the planet, he finds he has a greater destiny. In book three, in order to fulfill his destiny, he must cross back from death to life. Thanks for that, Adam. And that's just a slice of Adam's monthly Christian fantasy and science fiction bulletin, which he puts up every month on his YouTube channel. So be sure to check out Adam Collings on YouTube, or you can get more information about him at adamdavidcollings.com. All right, now into some video game stuff. Uh, the creators of, let's see, what is their name? Vertigo Games, the creators of Arizona Sunshine and Adam's Venture, are releasing a competitive card battler built specifically for VR called Skyworld Kingdom Brawl. Uh, they write in the description, all is fair in love and VR. Friends turn foe as you set foot in the VR battle arenas of Skyworld Kingdom Brawl. From the creators of Arizona Sunshine, set in the universe of Skyworld, comes an action-packed, real-time multiplayer game exclusively for VR. In Skyworld Kingdom Brawl, you collect and upgrade dozens of cards to build a powerful deck and watch your cards come to life as you cast spells and summon forces to wipe your enemy off the map. Join a Clam, take on opponents from around the globe in regular online tournaments and claim your place on the global leaderboards. This is no friendly battle. This is war. Uh, for more information about that, you can uh, check out vertigo-games.com. Vertigo-games.com. And then, let's see, we've also got Firmament. This is from Cyan, the studio that brought you uh, Mist and Obduction. And uh, this is a, a another one of those next... Well, it's a next-generation narrative adventure, and it's in the spirit of Mist very much. Um, they have a they have a Kickstarter running right now. They're looking to raise one point two well one million two hundred eighty-five thousand uh, dollars, and they are uh, uh, well they're right about at the halfway point right now. They got seventeen days to go, and it really looks like they're upping their game. It's, I mean, it's it's unlike. You know, Mist. This is you know a full motion uh, CG experience, and it's a full free roaming kind of environment that you are in. And I also understand that although it is built with VR in mind, there is going to be a non-VR version for those that maybe don't have uh, VR. So, and it looks like they're really trying to bring that Mist experience to current gen uh quality and uh it's uh, it looks like a really fascinating world and i'm interested in seeing what they're going to do with that so anyway you can get more information by checking out firmament on kickstarter uh that about wraps it up if you'd like to i mean there's a bunch of stuff that i don't cover in these monthly videos that i do cover every week on our twitter if you follow us at christian underscore geek uh, you'll find announcements like the ones i've shared here and a ton more that i just don't have time to cram into this uh, one monthly video so again uh, be sure to follow us over on twitter at christian underscore geek that's all for now data collection complete activating usenet 1.0 
This week at ChristianGeekCentral.com, I've, I've pointed you to a few different uh, articles uh, at various places. A couple of video game reviews for starters. Uh, Operency of the Stolen Sun is a PC dungeon crawler game that Christ-centered gamer provided a review for, and uh, I linked to that uh, on our website. Metro Exodus, the PC review by Geek Center Grace, is also uh, linked to at uh, ChristianGeekCentral.com. And finally, a really neat article from the guys over at Saving the Game about um, what selflessness and resolving conflict can look like in the context of a gaming group and uh, maybe some something some kind of tension or uh, disagreement or something you know that goes awry socially in the middle of a game uh, how that can be dealt with in a healthy way in really a biblical way um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great little article and example of that. So anyway, uh, I've appointed uh, the, the original article has a different title, but I, I, when I linked to it, I changed the title so it would be more clear as to what the content is about. Uh, so that, uh, on christiangeekcentral.com is titled selflessness and resolving conflict at the gaming table. Um, anyway, neat, uh, neat stuff over there from saving the game at youtube.com slash Christian geek central. I've posted, uh, the video, how anger and talking keep geek from growing and that's the uh, look at Ephesians that we were in last week and I've shared that already on the podcast but that's the video version of that and then also the video version of uh, the speculative faith content featured on this show why isn't there more biblical speculative fiction and the Christian Geek News Radar the video version of that uh, is up this week as well new Christian books and video games you can see some visuals to go along with those stories by now you should also be able to find my Hellboy review uh, as well and then finally I posted a sub, uh, a thank you for to all of you guys who have uh, subscribed to the Christian Geek Central YouTube channel. We recently passed 1,500 subscribers, and this one I won't make you go to the YouTube channel for because I actually want to you to hear this uh, on this podcast as well. So let me play the audio from that video for you now. Hey guys, Peter Franson here from ChristianGeekCentral.com and Spirit Blade Productions. I don't know if you noticed, I sure did, but uh, a little while ago, we passed 1,500 subscribers for the Christian Geek Central YouTube channel. (laughs) It's it's a little bit dumbfounding um, for me because, you know, we don't have like a huge number of views per video, you know, relative to, uh, you know, a lot of other YouTube channels. But I just stopped for a second and thought, man... 1,500 people at least want to keep tabs on what's happening at this channel, you know, even if they don't watch uh, every video that gets put out. And that is uh, kind of like a little too big to wrap my head around. So I'm so grateful um, for all of you who have subscribed, who have wanted to keep track and tabs on on the videos that uh, that I'm putting out. I hope that they have been of benefit to you. I'd love to hear about maybe why in particular you subscribed so I can keep that in mind as I'm thinking of where I want to take the channel in the future. And I'd also like to hear maybe what could we do to celebrate or to mark 2000 when we hit 2000, you know? Um, we've never had uh, like a, a big like rush of people subscribing. We don't have any videos that have like gone super viral or anything like that. Uh, but it's been, I've noticed, this pretty steady kind of 
trickle, just this almost reliable, I want to say, trickle. And I haven't lost a significant number of subscribers uh, as we've continued to climb and, uh, you know, haven't seen a bunch depart when YouTube, you know, uh, will sometimes clean out all the bots or, you know, whatever that, uh, that you know, might be accounting for some subscription numbers. And so uh, I'm really grateful that, uh, that there's uh, so many people that want to keep keep track of this so i would love to hear from you if you want if you have an idea for something crazy or cool or fun that uh, we could do when we hit uh, 2000 we had a q a uh, a live q a with me when we hit 1000 so we could do that again or something else or whatever and uh, uh but of course of course excuse me tomorrow is promised to no one and it's just by the grace of whatever God's orchestrating that uh, this channel is where it's at and uh, getting to 2000 is certainly no guarantee. So I would continue to be grateful. Anytime you want to share a video, share this channel with somebody else. I think that's probably how people are discovering this channel is through word of mouth, through people sharing the videos on social media and stuff. So uh, anytime you want to do that, I'd be really grateful. But again, I want to express my gratitude right now for getting us to uh, 1,500 subscribers. Thank you so much. I hope that I can continue to bring you the kind of content that uh, you want and maybe the kind of content that you don't know you want um, in, the, uh, in the coming months and years. Thanks again. Finally, Christian Geekly News highlights from our Twitter feed at Christian underscore geek include Game Store Profits of Inroads Ministry reached episode 200 of their podcast. So congratulations to those guys on that milestone. Episode 309 of Strangers and Aliens posted this week claiming to have stumbled upon the holy grail of Christian Geek podcast topics. Uh, so I'll let you guys check that out and see what they're talking about there. Episode 172 of the Retro Rewind podcast is also up featuring a review of Superman 2. For links to those stories and to stay up to date on the notable news and announcements from the wider world of Christian geekery, follow Christian Geek Central on Twitter at Christian underscore geek. And guys, there's a ton of content rolling out all the time from Christian Geek Central, movie and video game reviews, and ongoing in-depth Bible study with specific geek application. Christian Geek Industry News, gaming live streams, and a ton more. And for as little as $1 a month, you can help make sure all that content keeps going and growing in the future and get yourself some exclusive content as well. Uh, again, I want to say thank you and that I'm so grateful for the support of all of our Spirit Blade insiders who have made it possible for me to continue in this work. Thank you so much to all of you guys. For more info, visit patreon.com slash Productions. Our friends over at speculativefaith.com are lending us another article, this one titled Why Not More Biblical Speculative Fiction, written by Travis Perry, published on March 21st, 2019. Perry writes, I've just read Mark Carver's speculative faith article, Sharper Than Any Double-Edged Sword, in which he talked about the Bible being the ideal guide for Christians in what we watch or read or otherwise partake in terms of stories, with our goal to be more and more Christ-like. I'm taking what he said on an admitted, but I hope good, tangent. Why isn't there more biblical speculative fiction? Granted, there has been an upsurge in recent years in movies that feature biblical events, and biblical epics have always been popular in films, yet stories set in Bible times usually feature retelling or amplifying what the scriptures said. Sure, we could say showing Satan watching Christ suffer is a speculative element in the Passion of the Christ, 
speculative not because Satan is fictional, but because we don't really know what Satan's involvement would have looked like if it could have somehow been made visible. And there is always some minimal speculation involved in portraying exactly what people looked like or said or did at particular moments. But that kind of minor historical fiction-related story speculation is not what I'm talking about. Though, there's something to be said for historical fiction set in biblical times. Tosca Lee's Sheba, or Iscariot, bring light to characters in the Bible who are focused on less in the way most people think of the scriptures. And of course, Ben-Hur would be the classic example of biblical historical fiction, a sort of book for which there is clearly a market. But why are relatively few historical fiction works set in the era in which the scriptures were composed? I can't help but feel there is much more potential for such stories. But I'm not talking about historical fiction set in Bible times, even though that can be cool and interesting. I'm referring to truly speculative stories. Why are there virtually no time traveler tales featuring characters going back to biblical days, for example? Or biblical figures traveling to the present or future? Or why are there so few biblical tales retold in the context of alien or future culture? And while there have been a relative plethora of stories about spiritual warfare, I don't know of any set in Bible times. I can offer some answers to my own questions, at least to a degree. It seems Christians are a bit afraid of being accused of misrepresenting the Bible by inserting speculative elements in it. So if a writer were to create a book on the spiritual war of angels and demons during the time of Daniel's Babylon, such an author could be accused of adding to the text of the Bible in a sacrilegious way. Or such stories might suggest that God was not really in control of the events of biblical history. For example, some people might see the act of a time traveler, say, trying to kill the Romans who killed Christ, but failing because of the intervention of another time traveler, would suggest that God was not really in charge of events. Note that certain Jewish storytellers have not felt any such inhibitions. Darren Aronofsky crafted a movie based on a biblical character, Noah, that had speculative elements. I'm not 100% pleased with Aronofsky's vision, but for me, that points out that Christians who think more along the lines of how I think ought to be writing, directing, and producing such movies. Presumably, we could include speculative elements while still showing more respect for what the Bible has to say than Aronofsky did. A story of angels and demons in Bible times could come with an author's preface saying that while we know angels and demons are real and their conflict relates to the book of Daniel— this work is fiction and not intended to exactly reproduce, etc. Or the time traveler story I mentioned could be written in such a way that God's providence is evident in the events of the story, including the actions of the time travelers themselves. Or one set of time travelers could be believers, or the story could even feature angels battling time travelers. Why not? If the Bible is to be our guideline, why shouldn't it also be our inspiration? Not just in fantasy genre allegories or in biblical worldviews of good and evil, which are fine and good, but why not also more directly? Why aren't there more speculative fiction stories set in Bible times or biblical figures seen in speculative fiction stories? Why can't we work past the potential problems and objections? Well, those are some really interesting and I think worthwhile questions for uh, us to ask. So uh, any, anybody that has any comments on that, be sure to leave them in the comments below. And again, I want to thank Travis Perry and Speculative Faith for that article. You can find that article, again, titled Why Not More Biblical Speculative Fiction and a ton more great content over at speculativefaith.com. 
At last, the power of the Dragon Amulet is mine. It overwhelms your feeble defenses. You will now agree with all of my opinions and everything, everything I say, even if it sounds stupid and wrong. <laughs> Hey, this is John Wilkerson from strugglingforpurpose.com, and I'm going to review for you the movie The Pilgrim's Progress. It's going to be in theaters on August 18th and the 20th, and I had a chance to see it before its theatrical release. Now, you may have heard this review possibly on my podcast, and if you had, well, this one's going to be a little bit different because I'm going to be taking a look at it from a different perspective, from a geek's perspective rather than just a Christian's perspective. And that being said, I talked previously in that review about how movies have been used for years to reach people with the gospel. And that's primarily what The Pilgrim's Progress is intended to be. It's intended to be a tool used for outreach by missionaries. When all is said and done, the intention is to have this translated into the top 100 languages in the world. In fact, the weekend that it's released in theaters here in the United States, it's going to be aired on Iranian television. And one of the cool things about this movie is that because it's animated and because it's an allegory, they're able to get past government censors in countries where the government is hostile towards Christianity. It's going to be a feature length movie. It's animated and it's done by a, a Christian organization, Revelation Media, and they're adapting it. And one of the really cool things is, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, it has John Rhys-Davies in it. And I will say that he knocked it out of the park in this movie. Uh, on top of that, there's a gentleman in there by the name of Ben Price. And Ben is an impressionist. I didn't realize this, but he does impersonations and he does really great spot on impersonations. And he did a number of voices for this movie and his performances are really great. The, uh, the pace of the film, I think is just right. They don't drag it out like modern movie making tends to do because you have to have a two and a half, three hour production. That's not the case here. I think the 105 minutes of runtime feels just right. Acting, plot, scripting, all of those are great. There is one thing that may deter American moviegoers from seeing this. And that's the animation quality. Now, again, you have to understand that this is coming from a fledgling animation studio, and they don't have a huge budget. They don't have a Pixar budget. They don't have a DreamWorks budget. They don't have an ILM budget to make a movie with. And so they're doing the best that they can with. But perhaps you're looking at the animation and thinking, 
you're going to be turned off. Well, here's what I'll tell you is that while I was watching the movie, yes, there were some times when the animation turned me off. Keeping in mind, I haven't seen the final version of it, so I haven't seen the final renders, but it never really took me out of the movie so much that it distracted me from the story. And I think that's what's important here. The purpose of this movie is not necessarily to win an Academy Award or make a blockbuster film. And I think one of the things that's missing in Christian cinema and even in geek culture as well is we miss the intention of the creators of the product that we're viewing. What is the intention of this product? And when you consider the intention that this is meant to be a tool, an outreach tool for missionaries, you you grade it on a curve. And I think that happens with everything. Everything that we're interested in and things we're biased towards, we grade on a curve. And so here's what I will say. You may not be rushing out to see this film. Making Christian films is very hard because... As everyone knows, if if you don't have the right theology, one group of Christians isn't going to watch it. If the quality is not good enough, another group of Christians aren't going to watch it. We're a fickle bunch as Christians. And then you add to that geeks who are interested in fantasy and storytelling, which you find these elements in the Pilgrim's Progress, we become even more snobbish about it. And so just kind of going back to what Pater said about how we should express our feelings about something that someone else has created, we need to consider the intent and the heart of the creator. And we need to be careful to say, look, we understand that this isn't the best animation on the planet, but for what it is and for what it is intended to be, I think this is a great tool. I say look for this when it comes out on streaming video. It'll be something you'll want to watch with your kids. They'll enjoy it. They're not going to be distracted by the animation. They'll have a great time with it. If it's in theaters near you, go see it. Support the film. That money that they make is going to be used for the translation process. And that's very important. Hey, I'm John Wilkerson. You can catch more reviews like this and my podcast over at strugglingforpurpose.com. And I greatly appreciate it when Pater lets me use his platform to not only share with you but also promote my stuff. So God bless you guys. And uh, here's Pater. Incoming transmission. Hey, Pater, it's John Wilkerson. And uh, I guess I need to prime the voicemail pump again. The feedback pump. I'm pumping the feedbacks so other people will call in. And I'm saying, hey. And now I'm realizing that I'm actually sending feedback a few days before an episode where I'm going to have a segment, a review. So, hey everyone, wasn't that a wonderful review? John, you did a great job. Why, thank you very much. I really appreciate you saying that. Keep up the great work, John. You too. You keep up the great work too, John. Bye, Peter. Thank you for that, John. I thought you did a great job too. 
All right, feedback, feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep or change or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send an email or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And once again, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you do that if I can. Online resources and communities are good supplements, but they just by nature cannot speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we're serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, compassionate, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. All right. I think that's about it. I want to thank John Wilkerson from strugglingforpurpose.com for that uh, review of Pilgrim's Progress. And I want to thank Speculative Faith for the article that they uh, let us use this uh, this week on the show. Stay tuned after the credits for DS9 Shawarma with Matt McKinney of POSTOS or jump back to episode 400 to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as, surprise, the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com. It's very tricky, very tricky. Different name, same show. Next week, if God allows it, there will be a show. I, I, it's tough to say what's gonna what the content is gonna be. Um, it's one of those weeks where there's just certain things that haven't quite locked in yet that uh, I don't have control over. Certain things also that I haven't decided on. So uh, there could be an interview. There could be a horror movie review. There could be an animated superhero movie review. Uh, I suppose it's possible that all three of those would... Ha- I, I don't know. It's one of those weeks, folks. Uh, Till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a Spirit Blade insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash Productions. You can also help this work by leaving a positive review of the Christian Geek Central podcast on iTunes or other podcast services. Just one or two sentences is all it takes. It's a great way to help us grow and offer more content to more people. So I hope you'll consider taking just a minute or two to do that. Thank you so much for making time for this show. I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central podcast is a community supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Painter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit spiritblade.com. Thank you for listening. Something's coming through the wormhole. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. No! Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here. And that was the final season premiere of the show, Image in the Sand. Um, we're directly following up from Tears of the Prophets, where Jed Z has been killed, Cisco is on Earth 
dealing with it, and the war goes on. Um, this episode, this is the first of a two-part sort of season premiere pair, if you will. And in my opinion, it's kind of disjointed. Yeah, there's a lot of different things going on. It's a lot of solid stuff. I mean, very little of it I think is actually bad, but it's just very disconnected. There's no flow to it at all. It's just scene of this, then a scene of that, then a scene of this, and a scene of that. Do you think it might have been better if rather than having the multiple different competing plots we have here, if we had done like two this week and two next week? Well, that might have been better. I'm not sure. But at the same time, there's something to be said for having multiple climaxes at the same time going back and forth. It's just that it makes the first part much more, again, disparate. Um, it kind of reminds me of the two towers uh, where, you know, the Return of the King, everything was pushing together, but the two towers, everything was pulling apart. Because yeah. the very the Fellowship of the Ring was one basic story, but then everything kind of strung out. They went in their different paths until they came back together for the climax in the third one. And it feels like that, if you look at this as a trilogy along with the finale. Um, the the Cisco storyline, that's probably the big one. It's what the title episode. Cisco finds out he has a vision from the prophets of seeing a woman's face in the sand. And Jake, Jake tracks down a picture of this woman. And we get a story that's it's going to lead to, in my opinion, a very stupid plot twist that goes nowhere. Oh. And that's probably the biggest problem with Season 7 is things are raised... That don't need to happen. Well, and what part of this plot twist is it's soap opera -y. Yeah, it is very soap opera -y. We discovered that the woman that Cisco has believed all his life was his mother was not, in fact, his mother. It was some other woman who had a <coughs> brief romance with his dad. Well, a marriage, to be fair. They, they were married, romance. but it was a very quick... Yeah. It was a quick romance. They were married, and then she vanished... Shortly after Cisco's first birthday... And she's long since died. Yeah, and by the time uh, Grandpa Cisco tracked her down again, she had since died. But it it comes out of nowhere, and... It where, really is a payoff. And it goes to a stupid place. So, I don't, I don't know what the thinking behind this plot point was. But well, one thing that does matter is Cisco also finds out through you know magic icons and all that... He has to find the Orb of the Emissary, which is an, a pre, heretofore unknown Bajoran orb. Because what's happened is apparently the Parades and the Prophets are trapped in the wormhole in the temple. And they're kind of in some sort of a stalemate. All the orbs have gone dark. The Bajorans no longer have any tangible method of communication with their gods. So it's kind of like a computer who has all its, all its compute memory tied up in one function. And it's like it's functioning, but it's not going anywhere. And, as we all know, if you have been fervently praying and received no answer to your prayers, if you have seen disturbing signs in the heavens, then what do you do? Well, me, I'd start worshipping Satan, but it, that's just me. Exactly. So, the Bajorans have decided, oh man, the prophets are not hearing our prayers. I know, let's pray to the demon Paw Wraiths. Yes, so a Paw Wraith cult what? has sprung up. Although, Kira talks about... And th this is kind of poignant, because at the time we record this, this is just at the end of the election, when there's a lot of this kind of histrionics going on anyway, so it's ringing very annoyingly familiar to us right now. Kira talks about, oh, they're falling back on hate and fear. And it's like, they're, they're quietly chanting in front of the temple. It's at most annoying. That's not hate or fear. Well, and Odo offers, I can have them all arrested if they bother yeah. you. 
Yeah, that, that, that nice little peaceful. fascist touch there, Odo. I'll arrest peaceful protesters because they upset my girlfriend slightly. Yeah, they're not blocking the way. They're not doing anything obnoxious. They're just, at most, annoying because they're praying publicly. Let it go. It's the National Satan Day of Prayer. Um, so, yeah, that that's going yeah, on. We don't, we don't see any hateful acts from them until almost the very end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. One, one attacks Cisco. And that's not even on the station, so she yeah. has no... Yeah, you see her and say, oh, yeah, no, that murder. Um... That's the other plot lines, because, like I say, it's a string of plot lines. A decent plot line is the Romulans have come to the station, mm -hmm. and they ask for use of a Bajoran moon to set up a hospital. And Kira, and Kira spends time getting to know the, the Romulan high poobah of the area, uh, Senator Kretek. And she's interesting, and she's not your typical Romulan. She and, seems yeah. friendly for a Romulan, which and, and we'll, sounds racist. But. And we'll see more Kretek later in the season, too, in another good episode. Uh, this isn't bad, but again, this is all set up. Basically, we find out the hospital has a great deal of defensive armaments. Ridiculous levels, to be honest. And so the Bajorans say, no, you take that off the planet. We're not having an armed presence run by non-Bajoran nationals in our space. You know, if, if, we, if we have uh, Saudi allies, well, they're not going to come into our uh, California harbor and set up a nuclear silo of their, under their control. I mean, that just stands to reason. Um, well, and the Romulans knew this would not go over well. Yeah, they were hiding it. Because they were deliberately hiding it. They knew they were doing something wrong. They were even turning away Vulcans, and there's no medical reason that they shouldn't be able to treat Vulcans. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, we got some good, uh, some very interesting things on Cardassia. Dukat and, or not Dukat, Damar and Weyun are sniping back and forth. We find out Damar has been, he's got a drinking problem. He's just like, he's, he's sloshing around. And Wei-Yoon is making little jabs about how useless Cardassians are and disappointments. And again, this is going to pay off. It's just mommy and daddy are fighting. Uh, and the only other significant plot line, I believe, is the Wharf one. Uh, we spend the entire episode of Wharf subplot finding out he's upset because Jadzia didn't go to Klingon heaven because she didn't die honorably. And so he wants to do a very, 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 very dangerous mission that, that he can dedicate to her, and that'll get her into heaven. And that is so stupid, because we have seen in other Star Trek stories, someone, uh, Klingon is upset because a, a loved one wasn't going to Klingon heaven because of honor and dishonor and, and all that. And in no other place have they indicated that, oh yeah, you can buy him a Klingon indulgence and get him yeah. into Stovacor if you win a great victory in their honor. I just... It, it, it's supposed to be the merit to go into the eternal glory, not a radio dedication. And so, but basically it's our excuse for Bashir, Quark, and O'Brien, and Worf to go on their very, 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 very dangerous mission next episode. So like I say, this is all set up, but Worf definitely gets the points for the worst scene. If you remember last episode where we had that whole, where we spent like three or four minutes on a song. That did nothing but tell us what we already knew about those characters. The exact same thing happens here. And it's Vic Fontaine. And I like Vic Fontaine. But he did not need to be in that episode or this episode. That is just because they want to stroke this guy's ego by giving him lots of scenes. And this is why a lot of people say Vic Fontaine really literally steals the show. Not in, not in a cool way like he was just so good. But he's taking uh, attention that should go to the regulars. He literally sings an entire song, and we find out it's Jadzia's favorite song. 
Why is Jad Zia's favorite song a Sinatra cover? Why? She's a trill. I'm not saying she wouldn't like that. They enjoyed going to Vic Fontaine's all, but why would that be her favorite? Why is Kieran Odo? Why do they want to go to 1930s Paris? It's, I, I hate when Star Trek does this, and Deep Space Nine, for most of the time, was getting away from this. Everything is human. Yeah, everything is and not only that, everything is human, and everything is 20th century or earlier. You know, we, we very few actual original stories in the Star Trek universe that are in their era. Very few new stuff. It's always old stuff, and it's almost always public domain, or it's a cheap knockoff of something that's not public domain. Uh, so yeah, we wasted like three or four minutes just so that Worf can tear up the bar. So we know Worf's upset. Well, we knew Worf was upset when he chewed out Nog over nothing at the very beginning of the episode. That was enough. Um, about the only other sweeping thing I'd say is we got a good lesson in good exposition and bad exposition in this show. <laughs> the very first scene when we come back is Odo and Kira talking about what's happened these last few months. And it is bad exposition. They're, they might as well add, as you know, to the beginning of every sentence. Because they're telling each other things they already know. They might know. as well put it in a text crawl. It is. Yeah, yeah. it's... You, yeah, it might as well. Um, and then, like I say, when uh, Worf gets on Nog, he goes into good exposition. Because, yeah, he's pedantically explaining things to Nog that he already knows. But that's a situation where someone would pedantically explain it. He's upset that they're on cargo... Uh, they're on escort missions. Uh... And so he says, and here we are spending the last two months doing escort missions. Okay, you explain it. It, it makes a little more sense in the universe. It, make, it makes sense in character why this character would be saying that to that character. Because he's, he's lecturing and that's the key to good exposition. a subordinate rather than, oh, hey, let me tell you about something we both know. Hey, Kim, we just had dinner tonight. Yes, yes, we did. Here is what we had for dinner tonight. It's like, we already know these things. As and opposed to if, you know, my mom called and was bothering us, and I'm like, Mom, we are in the middle of dinner, my pancakes are getting cold. Yes, bye, Mom. Yes, we have <laughs> breakfast for dinner. Sue us. <laughs> Proper is delicious. But <laughs> that's about all for this episode. Next time we will see Shadows and Symbols, and we'll see part two of this quote-unquote epic. See you then.